Hi, I'm Dr. Carol Francis, and I'm a clinical psychologist, very excited to invite these wonderful people who have willingly said that they're going to reveal the vulnerabilities and the efforts it takes to recover after abuse and trauma. Everybody's story is unique. Everybody's recovery process is unique. And this is to help you understand that your paths are going to be unique as well. So maybe you'll find something that resonates with you. Maybe you'll say, no, I don't even know what that's all about. And both of those are really, really helpful because it helps you see you. And also for you to see that people have figured out ways of recovery or are figuring out ways for recovering or moving on in life that's full of feeling like they're thriving or even being transformed. These are ways for you to kind of grab a sense of, I'm not alone in this. In fact, folks, probably 70% of the people around you at any given time have experienced some form, some degree of abuse and some form and some degree of trauma. Again, that abuse can be ongoing chronic sexual and physical and verbal and neglectful abuse all wrapped into one as a child. Or it can be just one of one incident, or it can be a shooting, or an avalanche, or a car accident, or just some horribly impactful word that just made your gut just fold in and your heart close up. You know, trauma and abuse is in all sorts of degrees and variations, and the idea is, is that to be resilient, to have grit in the face of your abuse or your trauma recovery helps you be able to say, I'm not gonna let this defeat me, even though there's a way in which power is lost, but there's a way in which power is regained. And so this group here, thank you so much for joining. And I just wondered if you for a moment can just introduce yourself, maybe not by your name, maybe keeping that, but just like an identifier about the abuse that you've experienced. How would you, how would you do that? Um, well, I'm a recent Boston University graduate, so I actually just graduated with a psychology degree. But a lot of my friends uh, all throughout college have experienced variations of sexual abuse or physical abuse. And I think it's really important to, as a community, recognize it and get through it together as opposed to individually. Because for my friends, I think what helped them a lot through some of it was to talk about it within and amongst each other. and kind of helped each other move on from that point. Wow. And all before the age of, what, 22? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, well, I studied at the University of Hawaii, and I actually, before I went to Hawaii, I went to a school in New York, and I did experience um, abuse online. I did experience, like, a, a bully who was real uh, in person as well, because I knew her in person, and so she, um, um, I just experienced cyberbullying firsthand and I hadn't before and so I was able to talk to my other friends who had gone through the same things um, other friends who have also been assaulted verbally sexually so and just um, seeing how uh, having a great support system can really help and really um, just get through it and to grow stronger from that abuse oh thanks we're gonna find out a whole lot more as well yes an introduction for you uh, well, I am a, I guess, survivor of a sexual assault and a uh, very bad relationship, and that ended up turning into almost physical, but then I was able to get out before it got too bad. All right, we get to know more. Thank you for coming. Um, 
I am a daughter of a trauma and um, abuse survivor, first and foremost. Um, and then myself, I was molested um, at the age of seven and then raped for my first experience. So I unfortunately have experienced it and I'm on my path to recovery and excited and actually see the light at the end of the tunnel for the first time. So it's good. So everybody, this is authentic, real, and thank you for coming. Now you have met these four amazing individuals that want to help you with your abuse and trauma and your recovery by sharing their experiences as well. We now are going to go into their individual detailed stories. So in my introduction, um, I was molested at the age of seven, unfortunately, by a family member, um, which led to me um, knowing that my mom was a trauma and abuse survivor. She spent probably about the first 12 years of her life um, with somebody I wouldn't consider her mother, who was a prostitute whore, drug addict, who allowed men to rape a young girl. She was hogtied and put up in the attic, told the boogeyman would get her. So I'm sure when my molestation happened, it triggered something in my mom. And uh, she did everything she could to help me heal from that, but because it was a family member, I haven't ever been able to let go of the guilt of feeling like I tore a family apart and losing half of the, something that I felt like was supposed to be there. Um, you know, I, I'm still working on that one. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, my first sexual experience with a guy, um, I told him no multiple times. and. He just kind of giggled and went about it and, you know, in other words, penetrated me without my permission, um, without a condom, gave me an STD, fortunately went away. And that took me probably seven years to realize it was rape, as sad as it is to sound, because I, I was... I thought I was dating him. I thought I had some relationship with him. I, I, I wanted some sort of sexual connection to start off with, um, but I didn't want it to go as far as it did. And I think unfortunately it gave me a skewed version of sexuality for a very long time until I actually met a man I love. <laughs> and I think I'm fortunate enough to have, but that's been another whole thing. <laughs> Can I just ask you, how does it feel to re to say it out loud? Um, make it very real and like kind of we're kind of strangers, really. Uh, yeah, you know, we're leaving better. I I've, I've dealt with opening up about <clears throat> other emotional issues, um, things that I've had, and talking about it anything really that is internalized in you is so crucial and so important and also to then not feel alone and then to hopefully let other people know they're not alone mm -hmm. and 
I, I personally have at least five friends who have been sexually assaulted and it's it's past an epidemic in my opinion and like I said you know the me taking the realization of how long it took me to get raped I think there's still a lot of women young women even men of course who don't realize that it's happened to them and consent is a part of sex <laughs> and there needs to be a real form of consent what do you think of the phone apps, the phone app consent, where you both have to write the consent out? Or... <laughs> Actually, I haven't heard of that, but, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, they throw in the STD check, too. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's right. <clears throat> what would you say to uh, women? Let's start with women. And like you say, men are molested as well and raped as well. What would you say to women about wanting to have this guy love them and wanting to have the connection and feeling like this is part of it just feeling like well you know okay or you know or but not wanting to or feeling like is this part of it or feeling like is this what sex is if you've never had it before what what, what do you say to young women about uh, uh, greeting a man that wants a man or a boy that wants to have sex with them forcefully what do they need to develop in their identity or in their confidence or in their values or their character that would help them through that, do you think? I mean, mainly confidence. I, I was 17 when I was raped and I had no sense of self-worth or beauty. I didn't think I was pretty. I never really was told I was pretty much more than like older men, you know what I mean, creepily, but like it was the first time somebody paid attention to me mm. and it felt good it felt like it should have happened for so long you know nobody at high school was that into me or at least that I would have been into sad as that it sounds <laughs> but you know I mean yeah to, to to meet a guy who you find attractive that finds you attractive back for the first time at a young age is you get lost in that really quickly and I think a woman needs to remember her self-worth and what value comes with opening if she decides to open up that sexual side of herself that it's her decision and her decision only and that it should there should be conversations before it happens and you know not saying you have to be in a relationship or anything, but you know, you just need to make sure that you and this man are on the same page and both have the same idea of what sex is. Because I didn't know love making existed until I'm with the man I am with today. <laughs> and there's a stark difference between sex and making love. And I would say wait to make love. <laughs> I wish I would have. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. I mean, a lot of nodding heads here. So who would like to kind of like come on the tails of that? And thank you so much. <laughs> we'll be back. Who else? Yeah. I guess I will. Um, that's definitely something that uh, I dealt with in my abusive, I guess, relationship, which is, again, uh, just happened a year ago. Uh, so it's still a little weird for me to say. Um, I was actually engaged to the guy. Um, we were 
together for close to two years. And he was the first guy I was ever with, uh, sexually. And so I, um, he was super, um, super sexual and always wanted to have sex. And I just wasn't. And I just, that wasn't really something that I was into. And so he would always guilt me, guilt trip me and be like, well, um, you know, oh, like, well, I don't think this relationship's going to work. Like, if we don't have sex, like, I just don't think we're going to work. And, of course, me, like, as I'm wedding planning, thinking, like, oh, my gosh, like, my, like this guy's going to break up with me because I'm not going to have sex with him. So then I end up having sex with him as I'm laying there crying, like, this is, it, like, miserable, and, like, not wanting to at all. But, and then he'd be like, oh, well, you know, I have a lot of, like, female friends are a lot hotter than you, so, you know, and I'm like, okay, like, okay, I'll have sex, okay, okay, and so it took, and that was my first, he was my first partner, so, like, my first sexual partner, so I never had, like, the experience to know that, like, okay, no, that's completely wrong, (laughs) like, that's super not, like, at all what should happen, but, um, it's taken me, like, it's been, like I said, it's been a year, and so it's taken me about this long to kind of realize and be like, okay, like, definitely not, not the good relationship, and he ended up, um, breaking off the relationship. I was not, um, I was, I didn't have the guts to break it off. I was too scared. We were living together. I was away from home, and I just, I don't really have, a good relationship with my parents we're kind of we we're at each other's throats I'm an only child so I was more afraid to go home than I was to stay with him and um once we uh once he broke up with me and I called my parents I'm like well sorry guys you're gonna be stuck with me again like I kind of have to move home I don't really have another choice they're like okay like they came packed me up and moved me straight back home they didn't like him and they were ready to <laughs> they were ready for the engagement marriage to be over with so they were just happy it ended when it did um i was just happy it ended before he got violent to me he would get violent where he'd throw things like towards me but he'd never like physically hurt me and it was just a matter of time and so it was just <laughs> it was very happy to like have an excuse and when he's like yeah I don't think we're working out I'm like okay okay that's fine with me like totally totally fine with that so it's getting home and settled down and being able to step back and be like okay like I now I now understand that every like it's taking a step back and looking at it and be like yeah that was that was a bad situation that I was in and it could have turned out a lot worse so what, what do you now envision would be a respectful way for you in a coupleship? For a man to approach you about wanting to have sex? or What, what, what do you envision now is, gonna, is the right way or the respectful way? Just for someone to actually want me to be as into it as they are and not have it as a one-sided art like a one-sided agreement 
just not just because I like them and I think they're kind of cute and so okay so you like me so we're gonna have sex and have it an actual like okay like you want to have sex right yes okay that we're gonna have sex <laughs> and do you think that um you'll be able to sniff up the sniff out the red signs the next time red flags that come up do you think you'll be able to go oh there's that yeah and what are they well actually i had started seeing um i was like hey i'm just gonna like not jump right back into it but i was like okay like i'm just gonna hang out with this guy that i had known and he came over actually came down from i was living um up north and so he came down and we spent some time together and instantly he was, there was certain things that he would say to me. Like he'd be like, you need to calm down. And I have cats and I would be like talking with the cats, messing around. He's like, he's like, you just get so excited. You just need to calm down and stuff like that where he'd like try and take me down a notch. And I'm like, that's a little unsettling. I'm like, if you don't if, like that alone, I'm like, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Where in the past I'd be like, okay, like, I'll calm down, like, okay, like, sit there and nod and be like, okay, yep, okay. Where now, like, from going from what happened, I'm like, okay, well, maybe that isn't, maybe I should, <laughs> don't want to put myself back in that situation, so maybe I should take a step back and be like, okay, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. Where do you think in society women have a belief that they have to comply with a man's desires, where, or be, uh, compliant with their psychological manipulations. How do you think that's been part of your background or yeah. or even less personal part of society in this Western culture? I just think from all of the, like, I know growing up, it was always like the woman does everything the man wants. Mm -hmm. Like just in like always, it's always like the, like, even in like television shows, it's always like, what does the man want for dinner and stuff like that. And like, what it's I don't know it's at least that's how I feel like it's always portrayed that like in the media and film yeah. a lot um you know women don't have I mean we're gaining more representation but in the past there's a lot of small roles and you know yeah. secretaries and not a lot of like business yeah. women or strong independent women so I think that's like a lot of what we see or even Disney with the Disney princesses I feel like yeah. now they're starting to change things but like before Sleeping Beauty that's like what, yeah. what did she do that entire film you know yeah. a lot of other movies yeah. too so. and I forgot which actress it was but one of them did an acceptance speech where they were she was saying that like basically the typical woman line was like oh well, what do we do now like Reese Witherspoon yeah yeah yeah, and it's like every time like something bad goes happens, every time something goes wrong or something bad happens, the woman's like, "What do we do now? What happens now? What should we do?" And always looks to the guy. One way abuse and trauma can be perpetrated on an individual is to make that individual feel vulnerable, weak, powerless. So now let's explore how to empower yourself. So portraying women as powerless, mm -hmm. how do you think you are stepping into your own power as a woman? And then we're going to open that question up to everybody. How do you think you are stepping into your own power as a woman as opposed to powerless or compliant? 
I had the fortune of having a really strong female role model in my life. My mom, um, you know, she her father passed away when she was very young, and um, she had to work for everything that she got. And so I had the opportunity to just have that role model to look up to. So I think it's through that encouragement and just her support that I've been able to um, just gain my own power and just um, just feel empowered as a as a woman, but also as an intellectual because um, there are some moments where people, I've seen people belittle my mom, they don't think that she's a um, smart woman or they just, um, they profile her so they don't necessarily think that she um, knows the things that she does and so just being able to um, have the opportunities that she has given me and to be able to look up to her and as a role model, I think I've been able to just be able to part, portray myself as a multifaceted person. I think that people take advantage of sometimes. They think that women are one-sided. They have one like one goal in life, or just they just don't have the capacity to do more than you know one thing. So I think that yeah, just having her as a role model has been able been enabled me to um, yeah, just be empowered, feel empowered. Yeah. Who else? Your mom's so similar to mine. I mean, my, my mom's a minority um, woman as well, and um, her dad died when she was young, so she helped her mother basically raise this family of seven children. And then she went off and joined the Air Force, which, you know, she did munitions, which was not a field that a lot of women were in. And I think she's just, like, uh, sometimes to a fault, unapologetically bold. With her life and it's just her choices and her decisions and she runs the household so I think it's you know we may not always have the greatest role models in film but we have these really great personal life role models everywhere and I think it's just like important to recognize what you're surrounded by you know you may not always have what you want to see within media but you do have you know like building this community even, like the fact that we're reaching out and talking about like the things that we see or the things that we've experienced and building upon that and having this kind of inner community between um, all of us, I think is really, really empowering for women. And the fact that we're all, the Me Too movement, even just being inclusive really is powerful, I think. Um. <clears throat> I would say for me, coming into feeling like a powerful woman is really coming with learning to love and accept myself and be confident in who I really am and go for it and not let stereotypes or past comments or interactions hold me back. But like really just stand in my own and know that like I can and I will and working on that really positive mantra of giving myself the credit that I think most women are so reluctant to give themselves. And what's that credit? That we're badass. Ah. <laughs> that we can do it all. 
you know, that we're not inferior to men, that we deserve the same rights, the same pay. We deserve to be treated equally and not taken advantage of in any way. One of the ways abusers manipulate their victims is to convince them that they're uh, needing, needy of the abuser. I'm gonna use it, abuser. I always do hand puppets here. Abuser and abused, right? So, uh, you, oh, you, you can't really do that, or no one else will love you, or you're not really capable, or, well, let, honey, let me take care of this for you, can be so loving, but it can be so also diminutive, depending on who and the context and so forth and so on. But these subtle sort of things done for the manipulative reasons can make you feel somehow like you are in need of that person as opposed to they are a team member perhaps and we need team members as opposed to you are answerable to them you have their you you have to put up with their yuck if you want to have all the good stuff so you're nodding your head what's coming to your minds Silence. <laughs> um, I mean, I would say, like, in my relationship, um, he offers to do so many things for me, um, dinner and everything like that, but it, it comes from a place of love and caring and wanting to you know provide for me I think as men wants to provide for but I think that that power is easily manipulated as you said and men can use it in the wrong way and you know unfortunately like the younger you are the more impressionable you are unfortunately and that's when you become more susceptible to those predators in my opinion and I it's hard it's hard to recognize it when you're in the situation you know I think a lot of the times people don't get their friends or their family members enough credit on when they are speaking up about their concerns on who you may be dating or who you may be hanging out with the people you are circulating <laughs> who you are hanging around with <clears throat> and really you know just taking that time to take a moment and go outside of yourself and look in and really listen to everybody else around you and be like am I making those right decisions are these the right people in my life is this the right man is he treating me correctly or are they all right and I'm the crazy one <laughs> what else I think it's interesting that you bring up, like, am I the crazy one? Because <laughs> I hear so many, you talk to a guy, well, a potential, you know, boyfriend or love interest, and you're like, well, what happened to your ex? And the response is always so interesting. I think it says so much about the person. Because they'll either be like, oh, she was crazy, <laughs> or they'll be like, oh, it just didn't work out. Right. And you know, there's, there's ways to maturely talk about your past experiences and then there's people who are just like dismiss the entire relationship as like yeah. they were crazy and I think it's just so common that women are depicted as you know crazy and emotional and hormonal that 
you know, we just kind of accept it for the longest time. And I think it's it's really important to recognize that that could be a red flag. The fact that, you know, dismissing someone's past relationship or, you know, you're in a relationship because there is something there. There's some sort of care maybe. And to dismiss it as something that's crazy, I think that that's a huge red flag. I think that I'd like to hear your list of red flags, or as I call them, the yellow sign, the yellow flags, because the yellow flags are pointing a finger in a direction. They're cautionary. A red flag is like, what are you doing there? And I would have put an explosive in there if we weren't on camera. Yeah. <laughs> so what are those red flags? What's your list comprised of? Or in reverse, what's your list of minimal characteristics? So for example, I expect them to want to respect me and that they want me to be respectful of them. That they want that, not that they should, not that they ought to, but that deep in their soul, they want to respect me. Yeah. And that to me would be one minimal thing. A, a, a flag is that they somehow think it's cute to be disrespectful. And I think I've gotten caught into, oh, they're just joking. But man, that hurt. But then, what is the difference between male sarcasm that's just meant to be silly, or that they're awkward around women, or they don't quite know, or that's the way they treated each other and their their family because they were a bunch of brothers, and or maybe it's a different culture and they're more expressive with themselves in kind of that hearty sort of way. So how in the world would you differentiate uh, someone being playful and feeling disrespected when that's not the way they define respect? So even that one little red flag or the minimal thing of respect, oh, that's a hard one. So what are your lists and how do you navigate the gray areas? Are we talking short-term, long-term, both? Well, why do you even think that? That's a really uh, interesting. I, just, I have a friend, unfortunately, who um, her first marriage didn't work out because he was emotionally abusive. And um, by that, I remember one time, <clears throat> You know, we were in like our early 20s or so. So we were, I was having a dinner party because my parents were out of town and we all had our significant other. So it was six or three girls and three guys and we were all dating each other. And we decided to make it semi-formal, you know, to be fun. We were young, we were whatever, having a dinner party. And so my friend and her husband at the time, you know, she was wearing a dress. She's a very petite girl and it's hard to get clothes that fit her appropriately. And we are out of my, my parents' house having dinner with literally six people, and she's, we're done with dinner, and we're sitting on the couch, and her strap kind of falls, and her bra shows a little bit, and her husband picks up a huge pillow and covers her, mm. and gave her a curfew, and gave her a dress code, and right in front of everybody. her to, all, all, all these things, yeah. Right it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a hidden thing. We all knew Jessica had to be home at this certain time, and it was like, oh my God. And when she finally had the oh my God period, which, you know, took some time, it's just, it's, it's crazy to think that, like, we all sat there and let it happen. What would you wish you had done now? Well, you know, there were a few things I did. I, I didn't, I ended up taking myself out of the wedding because I did not like the man and I didn't want her to marry him. I, I unfortunately lost my relationship with her and I think I should have been there and I should have stuck it out. 
you know, we're still best friends to this day. Thank God mm-hmm. we, we were able to recover through it all. But, um, you know, I, I, I regret not being more understanding of the vulnerability of finding yourself in that situation. Yeah. I think um, in terms of red flags, one would be like not being supportive of my career, my pursuits in life, because I personally am just, I need to be able to function independently. I came from a big family and, you know, my own financial security and career pursuits and all of that was really, really important to me because I just wanted to make something of myself. And I think that anyone who's not supportive of that path is not someone that I want to continue to have in my life. My first relationship wasn't as supportive because, you know, I had intentions to join the military and become an officer. And they had wanted me to kind of settle down and play homemaker because that's what had happened in their family. And that's what they were used to. And it was never explicitly stated. Um, It was kind of implied that like I could have a strong personality but not strong career intentions and pursuits. So I could be, you know, as strong as I wanted as long as I was restrained to the one little household and all of that. So I think that that's a huge red flag for me learning from that relationship. Do you think that that relationship would have gotten reduced if you had surrendered into it? Um it's hard to say. I don't really know. I just know that they had expectations for their future partner and they didn't align with mine. They were never physically abusive. I just think it was all subtleties to try and like guilt me into doing things like they wouldn't make their own dinner and um, when I visited their family it was you know immediately I'm a helpful person and I was like in the kitchen with all the women and I tried to pull him into it because I was like I'm not doing this alone there's no reason that that we we have to follow all these stereotypes and you know he really freaked out over you know raw chicken meat and it's it's like silly little things to where I was like I'm not going to slowly be dragged into this this role that you want for me so I mean it was a long relationship it was for two years but um in the end I I'm glad that I have, you know, strong enough friends that surrounded me and a strong enough family to where I was able to recognize that that's, like, that's where I was slowly headed, and that's not where I wanted to be. I see you shaking your head. <laughs> so I don't know where yeah. you're going with this question, but you're yeah, resonating. Well, what's, what's funny is I'm, on the, I'm kind of on the opposite end of that, where I want to be a stay-at-home mom. That's always been my dream. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and growing up I had a lot of health issues, so it was amazing for me to be able to, like, if I wasn't feeling well, if I had a doctor's appointment, I never had to worry about, like, if I go to the nurse's office, oh, will my mom be able to, like, get out of work to take me home, or will my dad be able to, like, come get me or something. I always knew my mom would be able to pick me up. We didn't have the best relationship. We were always at each other's throats, but I always knew that physically she'd be able to, like, come and get me or whatever. So from growing up, I've always known I want to be a stay-at-home mom and I want to have kids. And that was one of the things with my ex that we had, we talked about, we kind of agreed, we're like, okay, well, we want to have kids, okay, and then it turned into him being like, well, if you, for every kid you have, I get a new sports car, 
And then that turned into, well, we're going to have one kid. And I'm like, well, I, I'm an only child. I didn't really like growing up being an only child. I want to at least try to have two kids. If not for different health reasons, I want to try to adopt something like that. And he's like, well, that means I get two sports cars. He's like, for every muscle cars or Mustangs or something, then I get a sports car. And I'm like, pretty sure that's not how this works. Call me crazy. But I'm like, I'm like, if that's what it's going to take, I'll do it. And then, like, stepping back, I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> definitely, definitely something's not right here with that. But something agreeing to something so big with that. Where in the beginning, he was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll we'll have kids. Like, yeah. And I was like, okay, it's like, that's fine. And then that slowly snowballed into him manipulating into the, well, then I get cars out of the deal. And so then I'm like, okay, so that'd be definitely a red flag for me that like making such a life altering decision to the point where we had even planned, we like had the wedding planned all out and everything. We had even planned to start trying for kids. We had everything planned out. And so to like, to make that big of a decision in life and then to have him completely do a 180 on it is definitely a red flag for me. I, I could go in two different directions at this point in time, either following what it's like to give yourself the time to really get to know someone before you give them your heart and your body, if that matters, uh, or like you mentioned, short-term and long-term red flags and yellow flags. Uh, what what is it like to uh, take time to get to know someone when you know you want to be loved and it's exciting and those first few months are just full of what psychologists call limerence oh my gosh the deliciousness of infatuation mm, mm, mm. the serotonin flow wow better than 70 percent chocolate right so you know it's like <laughs> but what what do you do to allow yourself to enjoy that but not fall into the prey because it is, um, it's a trap with the wrong person and it's delicious and it's wonderful as it grows with the right person, yeah. but you have to take the time. I always say you wait no less than four months, enjoy the ride, but you do not fall in love until after four months. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of one of my guidelines uh, because things change. <clears throat> four months, people become exerting their own independence or exerting their own wants and needs or spending time in separate ways or having to return back to the chores and boredoms of life and they change at the four month mark and so you find out who they are on a different level and then at the two year level there's another marker so um, what do you guys think about how a woman who wants to just fall in love and find Prince Charming because we've been unfortunately convinced to do that says, okay, well, brainwired into Prince Charming, knight shining armor, versus let's just really enjoy it, but let's not take it seriously. So what do you think, guys? I, have, I mean, I the best advice I got in looking into finding a relationship was coming up with a non-negotiable list and keeping at least my top 10 in my head. And if a man didn't meet one of those non-negotiables, that the relationship was over. Non-negotiable. <laughs> What's on your list? Do you share? 
Sure. I mean, family values, career goals, um, funny, tall, dark, handsome. <laughs> the man I'm with right now, I just won't say his name. <laughs> He's really cute. <laughs> but, you know, I, for a long time before that, was in an on and off relationship with a man that was 11 years my senior. So I just kind of idolized him, and he never wanted to be in my circle of friends. I was only in his, his life. And though it was exciting in a whirlwind, he was never a part of my life. And I remember finally coming up with non-negotiables while I was still dating him, and I went to present him them. <laughs> I couldn't even get past one, girls. He didn't agree with it. And I literally looked at him, and I said, I'm sorry. If you're not going to do that, I'm not going to be in your life anymore. And I walked away, and I never looked back. Cried for about 10 minutes in my car, and then I was like, are you doing? This is a good thing. You didn't mean you're not negotiable. Like, didn't have hope at that point I was going to find somebody. But it was like, you're okay. Like, you're a good-looking young girl. Like, you can come back from this. What's, what's going to stop you? Like, sitting here crying about it will stop you. Moving forward is what needs to happen. And so I went on my non-negotiables, and I mean, I got lucky. I just got lucky. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Thoughts? I think that, um, let's see, I had, I had a train of thought, and then you got me oh, on a different I think that it's just really, like, for me personally, I love being friends first because you build a different kind of relationship without like those sexual romantic expectations and that's kind of nice because you know from a friend you don't expect um as much from if that makes sense but at the same time the relationship could mean more as a friendship um I think it's really important to just to even not focus on it so much I think that as women we're kind of brought up to find a mate and as men, you're brought up to have a career and get money. And I think that if you just have a good group of you know, friends, that those relationships can be amazingly fulfilling if you let them. And eventually, if you start you know, dating, and I think that the great thing about society now is it's becoming a lot more uh, conversational, and through that, a lot more okay with variations of sexual endeavors. So some people are really, really casual, some people aren't, and I know people that have yet to experience sex and are okay with that. I have other people who go out pretty regularly and, you know, every weekend. It's like clockwork. And I think it's, you know, some people eat in, like, really great romantic relationships and other people who just really don't like talking to other people most days of the week. And I think it's just really important to have a community that's fulfilling of your own needs and you know having friends and being supportive of those friends and their endeavors not just in romance but in careers and just like co-inclusive as a person because you know as women we shouldn't just be looking for a relationship we should be looking for fulfilling our life and I think that it shouldn't all be put on finding a male partner or a partner. Do you want to add something to this or what are you um, thinking? Well, I was just thinking from both of your comments about a lot of different things, but um, I could really relate to having dating an older guy and idolizing them 
and thinking because they're older, because they're more experienced, I was a freshman in college, he was a senior in college, I had to be in his circle of friends, I didn't know anybody so I didn't have a circle of friends there yet. And that I kind of felt like I had to take that next step with him and he was really pushing for it. And um, I was just not ready, I knew I, that I wasn't ready for that kind of, because um, I had never had a sexual encounter before. And um, and we had done other things, so we didn't go, you know, penetration. So I didn't want to take that next step. But he was really adamant, and um, he would contact me for a couple weeks, and then he would disappear. And he would say, "Oh, I'm sorry. I'm dealing with my own issues. Um, I'm dealing with school." And then he would come back like a couple weeks later, and it was off and on like that for the first few months. And I had thought he was just this great guy because I idolized him, I thought he was really mature, I thought that he was very attractive, he was, he was everything on my list of things that I wanted and I was just, I felt um, in the back of my head, is he taking advantage of me, this is probably not what a good relationship is like and there came a point where um, he uh, really was so adamant and I was, and I, it scared me because I knew that because I didn't feel like we had a, such a strong connection yet. I wanted to wait a little bit longer, and I told him I wanted to wait a little bit longer and get to know each other better. And um, he wasn't okay with that, so we ended up breaking up, and I was really down. I did not feel confident at all after that experience, and so I didn't feel comfortable with my sexuality. I didn't feel like I was ever gonna meet like you know a great guy again in college, and. I started to date, but not really, and I, I'm still sort of dealing with that, where I just don't feel like I have the confidence, because it, it made me feel sort of like I was replaceable, or because he was so off and on, not giving me like the emotional side that I wanted, so just dealing with that has been sort of hard, and just trying to feel, my, like, gain my self-worth again as a, as a sexual person, you know, I'm just getting in touch with my sexual side has been, you know, a struggle, and I was just sort of working on it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, I guess that it interests me that we're here to talk about recovery from abuse and trauma. And as women, we've entered into the confusion of, well, what, what about this having a relationship, and how do we navigate it? And when are we marks? or vulnerable because we so long to have something that we were raised to think was what we should be having. Or, said differently, why is it a relationship with a man becomes a definition of our worth and value and lovability? I'm not lovable if I'm not loved by a man. It is a heterosexual way of saying it. Excuse me for a moment, we'll go there since that's what we're talking about at this point. But uh, what is it about a man where we decide a man has some special God-given tool that says, Doom, you're valuable, boom, you're, you know, you're good, as opposed, what? When did we take these other human beings, as broken as we are, as vulnerable as we are, as confused as we are, um, as whatever as we are, and decide that they have some sort of golden capacity to decide that we have value and worth? What are your reactions to this? The media. Mm -hmm. 
But the media does it to appeal to something mid-born in us or I bread. just think, like, you know, TV shows growing up and everything that I watch, it was a woman wanting the quarterback, but only the popular cheerleader would ever get the quarterback, and then they're going to be homecoming queen and king, and how many people are that? What, two in the school? You know what I mean? So that leaves a lot of room for all these other people who just never felt, and I mean, I think finally the internet helped out a lot with that, but never felt a place where they were at home or belonged or anything like that. And so I think it was just embedded in us that a man liking you gives you self-worth, even though it doesn't by any means at all. But it's just, I mean, even in religious practicings, <laughs> they say, you know, you're supposed to cater to the man and blah 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 so I mean it, it's it's not just media it's, it's all encompassing really sadly yeah I grew up really Catholic in a very Catholic household my dad's side of the family is Catholic my mom's side of the family is Catholic grew up a little Catholic schoolgirl, going to catechism I it was everything was always and I don't know, I also grew up in the Midwest, so I don't know if that's different from Midwest to California, if there was anything different than that. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> was, Maybe a little bit. <laughs> it was definitely, like, crazy where it was always the women in the kitchen, and it was, like, for Thanksgiving we had my mom's side of the family were all, like crazy amount of us, like 20-something of us, in, staying in one house for Thanksgiving break, and it was always the women in the kitchen, the guys watching football, and it was something out of a TV show, because it was the most stereotypical, like, Midwestern Thanksgiving you could possibly think of, where it was, and it was the gender roles, where the women are cooking and cleaning, and the men are carving the turkey, and then eating, and we were doing the dishes, and the kids are grabbing all the dishes and putting them in the kitchen, and it was like, that's what I grew up with. That's what I grew up seeing. So for me, I'm, I don't know. I'm okay with that. I don't know if it's just because that's what was so ingrained in me, especially being from a stay-at-home mom who always, my dad would travel a lot. So it was always like when he came home, it was always like cater to dad. And so it was like, I don't know if that's just something that was Midwest Catholic <laughs> Like, super, that was what we learned in catechism, was always, like, you know, cater to the guy. Do you think that that leads you, sorry. No, it's okay. Do you think that leads you uh, vulnerable to being what we call a mark? Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean by yeah. the word mark? What's your definition of mark, and how do you think that leads you vulnerable to that? Well, I think it's just, like, uh, easy for, like, I don't know, guys to, um, like, not take advantage of it as much, but, like, see that in the relationship and be like, oh, well, that's, that, that could, I could do that. You're like, I could get used to that and end up, <laughs> and put me in a bad situation. 
and so that's that's kind of I guess what happened and so that's what I really need to from going forward need to really focus on and work on, <laughs> on making sure that doesn't happen again so just a moment I know that there's burning desire over here don't forget you're how are you going to work on that because part of this is how do people recover you know how do you recover from an identity mm -hmm. that's born into you or worked into you how do you recover from an identity that sets you up for potential devaluation on the on the cusps of abuse or actual abuse how do you start recovering an identity that moves you in that direction I guess one of the things that I'm really working on is even in the sense of making friends because I did move from north up north down here and it was like taking a step back and putting myself I guess first and being like okay like instead of catering to what other people are feeling and being like oh just like if somebody's having a bad day like making my entire world like centering around making sure that they're okay because in from what I experienced if my ex-fiance was having a bad day it wasn't just a bad day for him it was a bad day for the house it was a bad day for me it was a bad day for the cats and so definitely like being able to now step back and be like okay like just because somebody else is having a bad day doesn't mean I have to my world has to revolve around making that person happy and like I need to take time and like focus on myself and make sure that like I'm okay make sure I'm okay that sounds like another white flag if this person wants you to make sure that you are okay that's probably a good sign mm -hmm. versus someone who says you're always looking after yourself stop you should be looking after me as mm -hmm. if there's a competition between two people mm -hmm. as opposed to I want you to take good care of yourself I want to take good care of myself you want mm -hmm. me to take good care of myself and but you know like this exchange of caring about how you're taking care of yourself right very mm -hmm. different than what can you do for me mentality mm -hmm. yeah what's burning over here <laughs> um, well I think first of all stay-at-home moms are amazing um, yeah. and I think it's just important like although that may be the role that we're expected to have I think as long as you are fulfilled within it that's that's amazing just as long as you feel fulfilled and not obligated I think that's like the fine line that I would draw um, but then going back to the film and media that you mentioned, like I just think it's so such like reinforcement because you see things like Greece and it's like, oh, that that everybody like, you know, the cute little dorky girl who's, you know, just, you know, modest or even like other eighties movies that you can think of. It's it's that one person who's like insignificant socially and then getting to be noticed by like the popular guy is the ultimate goal and that's done through like change into the societal expectation of the role of women and I think that that's such a major major component of why we feel like we need to placate men or like get men's approval to feel valuable I think it also perpetuates this idea where our own beauty has to be for the male, mm -hmm. for the men in our life. 
when it should really just be about gaining your own self-confidence. You can, you can do whatever you want with your appearance because it makes you feel good, not someone else, not not doing it for someone else. It should be for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, one of the main movies that kind of like impacted me and it kind of made me think, okay, that's just weird. Is like it was like she's all that, where she goes from wearing glasses to wearing contacts. And I, my, I had bad <laughs> eyesight since like sixth grade, and I tried the contacts and it irritated my eyes and I didn't want to be a dork at school but my mom was like no it's irritating your eyes get glasses and I was like okay I'm gonna wear glasses and ever since then I'm just like why do I have to feel pressured into wearing something that hurts me physically hurts me just to be accepted into society accepted for beauty standards that we set through movies so in that first relationship I had compounding on top of like the roles of being in the kitchen I would be gifted like makeup and I didn't really wear makeup but it'd be like oh look you know why don't you wear this more often why don't you dress up why are you just wearing sweatpants I'm like I'm just going to college I kind of want to wear sweatpants <laughs> so I think it's like subtleties too to where there there's the idea that we can be formed to match a male's idea of what they want in a partner and vice versa yeah do we match do we mold our men into that too Okay, folks, you come to the table with a unique experience that's different than being sexually abused. You come to the table with internet bullying. And um, I think that the internet bullying is, well, I know it's insidious and it's incredibly intense on a high school campus and everybody's doing it to everybody else. It is so destructive. And I work with individuals who have been abused on the internet through bullying and the impact of it is really intense and I want to just say that the research shows that psychological abuse is harder for the brain to repair from than sexual abuse isn't that weird maybe it's because it's more insidious or it's like wired or it's more complex or it cuts to something that's not so definable as a moment when I was raped or a moment I was molested. And you have just revealed to us it's horrible to have either of those. So now, recovering from that and then somehow recovering from the compounding aspect of psychological abuse in that same situation, right? And the psychological abuse of internet bullying is related to it. So help us understand what it's like to navigate with that, to feel it, to break free from it. Because no one, yeah. no one kind of gets it. It's so invisible. Well, throughout high school, I, I'm i not a big social media user. I'm not very, I'm not a huge fan. I don't like sit and post Instagram, post on Instagram all the time. I don't, that's just not me. And so when I went to college, I went um, east to New York and I went to a school there and it was, you know, my first time being away from home. I was three, almost 3,000 miles away. And um, I was uh, given a random roommate. And uh, we had gotten to an argument. It was actually over her wanting to have her boyfriend stay in our dorm room for an extended period of time. And not knowing this male, and I had just moved into this room, and she immediately wanted to have him basically move in with us. I disagreed, and I um, told RA because she wouldn't, she was going to have him over. And um, so she went online and she basically was calling me a cunt, a bitch, 
Um, she was telling people that I was single, that I was a virgin. And um, uh, yeah, so I'd have um, guys come up to my room and um, they would um, just try and come on to me, just make fun of me. All the girls in our floor knew the situation. And, um, and then the housing department told me, um, you can't move out of that room with her until January. The whole semester, I had just moved there. It was late August, September. I was gonna have to endure the whole semester with her. I couldn't move out of that room, which my room number was posted on that same website with all those comments with letting all the guys in our college know. It was actually on the site Yak. I think it's called. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> listen to us groan. Yeah. It was. It's a. I downloaded it once just to see the comments. I had a friend text me saying, "Is this your room number? I think this is your room number." And she said my name. She was calling me all those names and gave out our room number. And so I had that happen to me. And and I didn't have this. I had no family out there. Um, I am very family oriented. I very much stick with my family, I'm very close to them, so it was just this horrible situation that I'd never experienced it before. I don't think that I was very, I'm not a very confrontational person anyways, and it just, it led me to, they put me in eventually into a room by myself because um, the situation got so bad with the bullying um, that I, that they, I said, okay, I can't live in this room with her. What else, what are my other options? They said, you can either move off campus or you could just stay in a room by yourself, like a temporary housing situation until we find you maybe a new roommate. Um, so I ended up staying in this room by myself, basically in isolation for a few weeks until I withdrew from that college and decided to transfer. Um, but that the couple weeks in, isolation just was the most horrific experience because I was just alone in my thoughts, just alone checking Yak just mm -hmm. to make sure she wasn't, what else was she posting, what else was happening. Um, I would um, have girls come up to me, her friends, and just give me the, give me looks. They would call me the names that she was saying online and um, I just, it was just a horrible situation and I I'm so glad that I transferred um, and got out of that situation very quickly because I don't know what would have happened had I stayed there the whole semester like they intended for me to do because I I just, yeah. It makes me really angry yeah. that this university didn't completely come down on these people. And yeah, completely it like 13 Reasons Why on Netflix. Mm -hmm. They told me that they couldn't <clears throat> pin it down on her because it was on Yak. It's it supposed to be anonymous. It's anonymous. Yeah. Even though she said it was my roommate in this room. Oh, wow. They, they said it could have been her friends. She she was telling them that it was one of her friends that mess, that typed out the message and sent it. With but with her consent, um, the law is crazy. Too. So they were not able to do anything for like against her. Um, so all they could really do was move me out of the room temporarily. Were you shocked at how mean people, the the boys that would come to your room and try to 
like lure you in or maybe molest you or it was or corner you into raping you or just taunting you or the girls that would give you this condescending what were you amazed at how evil and I had girls telling me that they could hook me up with their brothers because they were experienced and I could if they wanted to they could just have their brother come over and we could have sex and I could just lose my virginity because they thought that me being a virgin was something to look down on and that me still keeping that part of me was to look down on and I think that's why um, I probably still haven't been able to give that to somebody else. You know, so you were shamed for something you valued and now you still feel some shame about that value and got twisted in that regard. Am I, am I saying that correctly or am I misunderstanding? I think that's probably correct. Yeah. And that's part of the psychological intensity of this is, is knowing you shouldn't be feeling ashamed or embarrassed or you mentioned guilt earlier. Knowing that somehow guilt and shame and embarrassment are not, they don't fit, you know, they're, they're, they're inappropriate, they don't match, they're not, they're not true. And yet inside ourselves, we feel it so deeply. We feel the shame and we feel exposed or we feel responsible when we're not the ones responsible. And, and so we're twisted, we get really twisted. We can't get the emotions to line up with logic and with kindness and with sound mind. In this case, to feel shamed for something you value. Right? It's like, how, so how do you think you're going to bring back to you a, a tremendous pride and, and satisfaction that you are living true to your values and that you don't have to sell yourself just because someone else doesn't have the values because some idiots, excuse me, because I'm a little angry, are, are going to try to be condescending towards you. How are you going to own back your own pride and your own choices? I think I've started to do that. I've started to work on that. Um, just being able to be in tune with my own sexuality, just being able to feel empowered for all my other accomplishments, my career, my education, just being surrounded by my family. I think that's helped in just being able to see that I'm worth more than that mm. and that I'm worthy of love eventually <laughs> and just loving myself, I think. Um, because I didn't love myself for a long time after that. I thought that there was something wrong with me, maybe I should just give it up, maybe I should just you know, throw that part of me away to just whoever was willing. Um, so I think that just, just remembering that I am worth more and that I deserve more, mm -hmm. I think has sort of helped me just you know, reinforce that idea that I don't have to you know, feel bad for the choices that I've made and that I just can grow from each experience to just get stronger. I hear embedded in something you're saying is that one day I'll be worthy of love. And, I, and, and while I hear the conviction, the sincerity of you saying that, I think that that is alarming because you're already worthy of love. I agree. You're already worthy of love. Yeah. You want to elaborate? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're kind of misconstruing being worthy and ready, you know, because you're definitely worthy of being loved by whatever man is lucky enough to have you on his arm, you know what I mean? I just think you're still 
working, like you said, on loving yourself because that's really important. That's something I have never struggles with, but loving yourself is the most important thing to start being loved, and it's a hard thing because, <laughs> you know, not every day do I love myself, and that makes my relationship hard. I'm lucky I have a man who's willing to stick around and tries to understand it in the best ways that he can, and is willing to go to therapy and anything, you know what I mean? But you know, there are men out there like that. I really didn't think they existed. I was going to say, where can I find myself one of those? <laughs> no, he, he actually went to my high school. And then we reconnected 13 years later. But, um, you know, I had lost hope, honestly. You know, because I, I don't know why there is such a, a big difference on good men and men who seem respectable and then those men who just take advantage of any opportunity they can. I don't know. It'd be interesting, the next man that we meet or date, for those of us that are in that position, to say to him, oh, who taught you how to be a most amazing man? <laughs> who taught you how to be the most amazing man? Number two, who taught you how to treat other human beings in your including female part of human beings. Have you ever interviewed a man like that? I feel like something that I notice a lot is when they have sisters. Hmm. Like, that's hugely impactful for how they treat women. And you can tell their relationship with their mother or with their sister directly reflected within your relationship with him. So, or any other close, you know, on anything, like that's where you can immediately see what you're getting into. Yeah, that, sh that was definitely should have been one big red flag for me with my ex-fiance was uh, his parents are divorced. His mom lived on the other coast. His dad lived on the west coast. His mom lived on the east coast. And he had a horrible relationship with his mom, not in the sense that they fought, but in the sense that it just kind of disappeared. He was in the military and hadn't seen her in five or six years. And she would call him constantly to the point where once we got engaged, I became, I was like, okay, like I want to form a relationship with my future mother-in-law. So I would call her on the phone and we'd talk for hours and she'd be like, oh, well, what's, what's he doing? Like, how's, what's he, where does he work? Like, what is going on in his life? And I'm like, oh, that's not, he didn't tell you? Like, he's, oh, like, he's getting out of the, he's getting out of the military. Oh, he didn't tell me that. I'm like, oh, oh, he didn't, he didn't tell you that. And yet, I was just like, I'm like, hmm, yeah, hmm, yeah, that's not a good sign. Just that that should have been a red flag, and it it was the time where I was just like, mm. it was a yellow flag where I was just like, mm. maybe that that that's something a little little strange going on there. And he had a brother, and he was really close to his brother and his dad, and he was in the military, so he was with guys all the time, and just had no clue how to treat a woman, had no because he didn't grow up with a woman figure in his life, so he had no clue what to do. Interesting. Other thoughts? 
think it takes time, too. You know, you can't expect an 18-year-old boy to act like a 32-year-old man. You know, so I think there's a lot to be said in waiting to get into serious relationships until you've experienced life, culture, the world, different aspects of different cultures and everything, and then revisit that idea because it'll always be there. Yes, women, especially me at 32 with my ticking ovaries <laughs> yelling at me daily. Um, but there's ways around that, even at that, and it needs to be right, and it needs, you really need to know yourself and love yourself. Do you think that um, it's much harder to enter into a respectful, loving relationship uh, having been abused or traumatized by a man? Yes and no. I feel like for me, especially now, trying to, it's been a year I'm trying to get back into the dating world. Um, there are things that I take as a red flag. And um, I also suffer from PTSD from it, um, where things that somebody will like do to me that like, like a guy will like come up and like, Put up his put his arms around me or like pin me up against the wall trying to be all cute and stuff that'll completely set me off and put me into a tizzy and so there's it makes it hard and it makes it completely like almost at times I feel like impossible but then there are times where I think it makes it almost easier because I have been there and I know what now to look out for and you'd really do paint the idea that Women can enjoy a, a form of aggression during sexual mm -hmm. activity. And when does aggression become abusive? Mm -hmm. Poof, how do, you, how do you draw that? And every woman has to answer that question yeah. for themselves. Uh, sounds like you're, where do I put this? Yeah, because um, uh, I was also sexually assaulted back in high school, I think it was my senior year of high school, and um, I was in a car with a guy, and it was like my first real like, okay, we're gonna have like, we're gonna make out, and I was like super innocent. Um, I'm like super not into any of that kind of stuff in the sense of like, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm awkward, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know, and so he's like, okay, like I'll lead you, I'll like show you what to do. And so he's like, he came on top of me. And I, for my entire life, have had a panic attack disorder and instantly go into a panic attack. And instead of telling him to stop, which I can't because I can't speak, and I'm trying to push him off of me and I'm trying to huddle in the corner and he won't stop. So he forces himself onto me and we're in the car in a parking lot and He's thinking he's being so cool and being like, uh, being like this aggressive, like sexy, hot, like make out king. And I am thinking like, in his mind, he had no idea that I was what was happening to me. And he, he was, had one thing on his mind and it sure as hell wasn't what I was feeling right then and there. And so finally, 
I was huddled in the corner shaking and hyperventilating and of course I couldn't say no and so um, he finally got out of the car he was really angry at me and at that point he tried taking my clothes off trying to like again be this like like super like thinking it's so hot and stuff and I'm like like trying so hard to keep everything on and whatnot um and so then um later I was talking to some of who I the girl I thought was a friend at the time and I didn't I was kind of in shock at the time and I was just like didn't of course at that age I didn't know wasn't really in it back in that time it wasn't the me too movement wasn't a thing and it wasn't sexual assault wasn't talked about in school as much and I didn't know that's what it was I didn't know what had just happened to me and so I told her and I was like yeah that was, I was just scared and I was like suffering from like post panic attack freak out still and she's like well you didn't say no to him you couldn't say no so how was he supposed to know you didn't want it mm-hmm. he just thought you were into it he was he just thought you were into the sexy makeout session this like hardcore makeout session and I'm like okay okay like so so my fault my fault yeah exactly yeah and so that's it took me a while to like be like oh wait a second that what actually just happened to me and that's what mainly my PTSD is from so now being cornered being like pushed up against the wall what guys think is sexy and it throws me into a tizzy and panic attack and the whole nine yards and I have horrible nightmares from it and it's but it's like for me especially with what happened with my ex-fiance now looking at it it's like such a minor thing to me but it's affected me like mentally so much that it's like it's it's crazy that I want it and it's like I want to be able to be this like like want to be able to have those like sexy moments and stuff and then I can't because all of a sudden my body is just like <laughs> nope and totally shuts down how do you think you're going to work that through because that you know that was on the heels of me asking the question is it harder to have the type of relationship you want following being abused I that's definitely it's definitely something I've worked on and I've been in relationships since then and it's something that what I've learned is it's something I have to tell the guys straight up like from the start because it freaks them out if they like on the first date they think they're being all smooth and all of a sudden I go into a tizzy and they're like what did I do and so it's something from the very start and I do I also have depression and anxiety and OCD and so I it's something that from the start I tell them like I lay it out and I'm like this is basically what you're getting yourself into and so if something happens this is why and so like I just want you to know that like I and I set a boundary in the sense of like this is what you can do and this is what you can't do there's certain places you can't touch me and there's certain places that it's totally fine and so like with like certain different like guys I've been with where I'll be like I'll draw like with like a washable marker on me and I'll be like hey you can't touch me here and you can touch me here <laughs> and I'm like we can do this and we can have as much fun as you want but these are the rules and 
once a guy breaks those rules, or if a guy thinks they're being funny by breaking those rules, that's something that I, that's one of my hard notes. I'm like, that's it. If you think you're funny by pushing, pinning me up against the wall as like a joke, knowing that that's one of my triggers, then that is an absolute over with, like I won't talk to you ever again. Because that's just, <laughs> you're, you're setting me up for a horrible week after that. And that's knowing that that's what it's going to turn out. No. <laughs> it's so refreshing to hear you say on one level, I'm going to define it this way. Yeah. I'm going to educate this person yeah. with these ways. And if they don't like it, like you were saying, your non-negotiables, then, you know, Maybe too bad the relationship doesn't go forward, or maybe yay the relationship doesn't go forward. It does not matter yeah. because it crossed the line. Mm -hmm. And uh, for you to, I don't think women often know that they need to teach men mm -hmm. how to be sexual partners. You know, all the way from how do they give you an orgasm and how mm -hmm. do they treat you respectfully and how do they touch your body, because they have been given the media's version of making love and. To be quite honest with you, there are a lot of men out there that are really, really insecure because they don't know if they can do what you see on TV. Yeah. And the level of expectation that they get from locker room talk is very confusing to men. So for women to be really clear and to be able to teach the men may feel kind of weird, like what a mother does to a son, mm -hmm. or it may be that this is the communication you talked about earlier. You've been rhetorically really active the whole time you're hearing her talk, which makes me think that your brain's just firing. So what um, are you thinking? Uh, I was just, well, I guess I'm trying to figure myself out and, like, why I am the way I am in a relationship and as a sexual partner. Um, I'm trying to trace it back to, you know, like you said, like a pinnacle moment that is that abuse and trauma that's, you know, changed you. And I think for me, a lot of it has been gradual. There's been some that's kind of been verbally abusive growing up, so I had really low self-esteem. And I think that, you know, combined with society's views and, you know, pressures on women, that I had this expectation that I needed, I'm like, I be, was a people pleaser. I like making people like me and like, you know, making them happy is fulfilling to me which is eventually why I want to be a psychologist is just to have that, you know, help. And it became kind of dangerous for me because I would um, take care of other people more than myself. And I think within my first relationship, I wasn't ready for sex. And sex was something that happened to me as opposed to me participating within. And continuing on from that, it's like I felt I did not like to feel concentrated on for pleasure. So every um, climax that he thought I had achieved was, was not one. And um, I think that only got reinforced when later in college I was with friends and we were, we were drinking and we were having a good time and I was really close with these friends. I thought, you know, I could trust them with, you know, my life. And um, I didn't think I was that far gone and I had blacked out and I was like you know what you know if that ever happens it happens and I felt comfortable enough within this group to think that nothing would happen and I woke up in this guy's place 
and I was still not feeling well, so I just I just got back to my dorm as fast as possible. And I was, you know, undressing to take a shower, and I realized my underwear was inside out. And I, like, tried to retrace what went on, but after a certain point, I stopped looking because I didn't want to know. And I think that, for me, being intimate with someone is not for me as much as it is for them. It's something that I'm still doing. I'm still, like, doing a service. I'm still that people pleaser side of me is like taking care of that other individual as opposed to myself and for me being really really vulnerable is letting that energy being concentrated on me and that's something I'm not able to do yet so I think throughout this conversation I was just trying to figure out if I had a pinnacle moment to where it turned for me and I think sometimes that's not the case I think sometimes it's compounding things and just you know life life's course that you know puts you in a place where you are the person you are. And I think that as long as you understand that as an individual and you find something that kind of makes you have, um, like you're okay with yourself and just understanding of yourself and you accept that and you're like, it's okay to know that you have these things going on that you may not be able to figure out quite yet, but that you're wanting to and willing to and being as nice to yourself as you can to other people as nice to yourself as you would be to other people yeah it's the golden rule of reverse right yeah do unto others you would have them do unto you as opposed to have them do unto you and it's really it's an interesting do you think you are on a path to recovering from this accumulation of experiences including this likely rape moment that you don't even know about I'm sorry um, thanks for sharing it and this okay. is intense and that's exactly what these people that are that were ministering to is so do you think that you have a path yet um I think the fact that I'm able to talk about it is so amazing because yes. I like for years didn't talk about it because everybody knew this person and everybody was friends, and I didn't want to make my friends feel guilty for leaving me and thinking that I was going to be okay. Because they had left me with this individual thinking that he was going to take me home, and I didn't get home. And um, I didn't want them to feel guilty. I just wanted everybody to just move on. I almost didn't want it to acknowledge that it had happened because I've had friends who've, you know, been raped by family members and continued that's, you know, that abuse continued. So as a result, um, they became really sexually active to, to diminish the experience to make it feel like, you know, sex was no big deal. What happened to them was no big deal. And then I had other people who just went the opposite direction and could not be touched. And I think for me, I just refused to acknowledge what had happened. And I think the fact that I'm talking about it is realizing that, you know, something may have happened and I may never have known what, but something did. And, um, I think that just talking through it and having a good support system is amazing because yes. as as much as it's unfortunate that a large percentage of women are sexually or physically abused, it's still a community that, you know, you're not alone in. You're not alone in. Do you think that it's confusing 
to take responsibility for your life versus being blamed for what happened. I think this is confusing so that you get shamed for letting it happen, which I think is just really criminal. You know, no abuser should say, well, she set me up or he set me. No abuser should get away with ever being able to point a finger at anybody else but themselves. You know, I've been abusive, I need to say that. On the other hand, what is it like to say, I've got to take responsibility for myself to keep myself safe? You know, what is, how do you live with being clear between blame versus take, take charge of your life? I think um, my mother growing up used to always warn me with how to, what, what time to be out and um, what I was wearing and to make sure I wasn't alone. And I think at the moment I was just like, she's just restricting me. But I think looking back, it was just protection because no, none of these things should be happening. And no, we shouldn't be tolerating it. But at the same time, be aware of the environment you're in. Just, and take it. I hate saying take precautions because we shouldn't have to be concerned. No, none of this should be, you know, threatening to us. Like I, I would work a late job and I'd be walking back to campus late at night and I, it's just like really scary. Like you're scared for your life sometimes. And it's, it sucks to be like, no, you shouldn't feel that way but you should be aware at least of the environment you're in and what precautions you can take. So I'll be walking back from work, but I'll be on the phone with my mom or my sister or something like that. I have my my spray, which I've accidentally sprayed myself with, and then I stopped. Oh, no. no! I sprayed it in front of me, and I said, I'm gonna see how this works, and I walked right through it. Oh, no! <laughs> but you know what? Hey, this stuff's pretty nasty. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I feel safe using this. <laughs> and I, I just got the spray at some car wash place, and you know what's and I I'll take it out because I'll work late and uh, I'll take it out and I'll I'll I will practice no longer in my path, mm -hmm. but I'll practice because I think you know you're not practicing. You have it stowed somewhere off where like oh we're gonna find my, it in your purse. I'll just like my keys, keys in, my in your hands. Yeah, and just, yeah. But do you practice jabbing yeah, it? I've done that. Do you envision? Yeah. Well, I took a defense class where they taught me how to practice, and I yeah. occasionally just like simulate. <laughs> what would I do? Like I would yeah. pull the throat, the nose. Yeah. Do you know it was something I love to do? It's really silly. I'm gonna be silly here. Wow. After what you've done, shared, all of you, <laughs> this is nothing. You've been so vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you on behalf of people who are right there with you and needing to recover and appreciate. Oh, they're saying it. I can admit it to myself. So in light of that level of levity, I will, I, I figure that in the psychology of human being, no one likes to be afraid. So if I act like the aggressor as I'm, as I'm going out into some sort of situation, I'm more, less likely to be attacked. So I start to roar like a lion. And I'm out in the parking lot going, and no one else is there. And if that's the reason I'm roaring, because I feel vulnerable. And I roar like this. I'm sure that every cat that's hiding in the bush is like scampering away. And I'm sure those men are going, <laughs> hey, if you and that helps yeah, me. Yeah, if you scare other people, they're not going to scare them. You know, did that feel really kind of threatening when I was roaring? You've all kind of went like this. I think.
think this is where I Don't mess with Dr. Francis. That's... Camera woman knows that. The thing is, the stories you could tell. I'm glad you're back there. The thing that I'm leading up to, though, is... Um, we can feel our vulnerability and we can even share the authenticity of our vulnerability and we can feel kind of good and healed by being able to share our vulnerability and and know that but we really have to live in our power and it's when people don't live in their power that someone else is going to take the power and I have this belief that it's the dominant influence in the moment that wins it's the dominant power in the moment that's the power. And if you're not the dominant power, you're going to lose to the person who wants the dominant power. Now, if you perchance are in a relationship such as you are describing, where there's no fight for dominance most of the time, there may be moments like who's going to wash the dishes or I don't know. I'm sure there are moments. Yeah, for sure. Which way that toilet paper roll? And I'm sure there's moments. <laughs> there's oh. only one right way. Exactly. Oh, let's, 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 let's be honest. I, put, I, put, <laughs> I purposely put it on one way, and then next time I put it on the other way. Just oh, like, you know, no, 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 no. You put it on the wrong way one time and the right way the other time. No, no. Well, I, I guess this is, you know, the, they're playful things to have power struggles over. Uh, there's ways of choosing your battles, right? But I am a big believer that women have to be the power, and they have to be the biggest power in the space they occupy. And if someone else is respectful of that and not threatened by it, great. If someone else is going to battle with me, uh, if they're not going to threaten me, I don't really care. You know, pick my battles, right? But no one's going to threaten. And um, I've definitely proven my mother bear with my kids definitely prove my mother bear with myself. Do you know what I mean by mother bear? Mm -hmm. How does it feel that I say you must be your power? You need to be the most powerful person in your life at any given moment. And therefore, if you're your most powerful person, you can say, oh, I don't really care about that issue. Fine, we'll do it your way. Because you're the one that decided it would be okay. Uh, or you can say, you know, I don't really like that chore, but you, you're you great at this chore, and I'll take that over. Not because I'm trying to please you, but because I'm playing cooperatively, and so are you. But I am still the biggest power in my life because I'm deciding to be cooperative, and I've decided you're worth cooperating with. So this experience, I will be the biggest power in my life. Has a lot of dimensions to it. How do you feel about that? On the on the heels of being roared at. Better than I pepper totally spray. I agree. I mean, it's it's one hundred percent true, and it's just I think understanding it and practicing it are unfortunately two different things, mm -hmm. um, and remembering it in the moment and not getting lost and. Or insecure ways, you know, or a flashback, or think something, a trigger, anything. But um, it is, you know, I mean, <laughs> the man I do date. I mean, we both have OCD, different types. Um, but you know, he's very particular about some things, and you know, it took me getting my therapist to be like, "That's his issue, and you need to tell him that's his issue. And if it's his problem, he needs to fix it." You know what I mean? And I finally said that to him. <laughs> and it felt great. 
right. And you, you got it. You kind of like, you kind of realized and was like, oh yeah, I'm being a little bit like insane about this situation. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was nice to feel heard and understood. And then also you got it and that we're past it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, this also comes down to communication, but you know, I, I, I agree with, you know, we have to be our own biggest power. Like we have to be our power, our most powerful person, you know, mm -hmm. our biggest champion, our biggest fan. We have to be. We have to this be. is not an option. And as soon as we decide that it's optional to be our biggest power, we really do give room to someone else being the power. And again, being the biggest power can still be a wonderful, cooperative human being. Can be kind and giving and helpful. Washing the dishes when you don't want to. <laughs> it can even be doing things you don't want to do because it serves the greater purpose, but it's still your power. So I'm not saying, and I think that when we hear women being powerful, like, oh, boy, what a bunch of bitches, right? You know, but I'm really saying... Bossy, not the boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it feel like to you to talk about power? Because you were put psychologically in a really intimidating situation where you were outnumbered. And you were not really equipped to be a lioness. And most women are not. Uh, I mean nothing antagonistic towards you at all. In a safe environment, women don't really learn to be tigers. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. But here you took martial arts and self-defense class. And so what is it like to be outnumbered and feel powerless? And then what it's like to try to come back on a power trail? Well, with my experience, it was a girl, like another, another female, who I thought you know I could relate to at least on some level. Mm -hmm. You were vulnerable with. Yeah, we were roommates, and um, you know, we didn't know each other that well yet. But I thought that I could develop some sort of relationship, whether it was just to cohabitate in this place, and we were both new to college, and so it was. You're it being really, cooperative. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just so strange to suddenly have this girl um, sort of attack me in that way through social media, and so. Um, I had I had trust issues before from other situations, but um, being able to befriend people was really hard afterwards, especially going to another college, a different college. Um, making friends and building relationships was pretty hard, and so it took a lot of um, just like making sure that the friends I was with would it, like help one empower me as well and not put me down for my beliefs mm -hmm. and not um, belittle me for my my beliefs, I think. That is what kind of made me um, more of a lioness, and I'm still working on it, but yeah, I think that just a woman helping other women is just such a, is such a great thing, and so being able to have other strong women that, you know, wouldn't even think of doing something like my roommate did, or just not even thinking of calling another woman a cunt or a bitch, or other derogatory words that are often used towards women and woman alone. I mean, so right. just, you know, just having those people with the same values has, and just having like that, that lioness, like the pack with me mm -hmm. and the, the squad. <laughs> the what squad? The squad, whatever the bull say yeah. these days, I don't know. Um, but yeah, just, just letting other women know that, you know, you're powerful too. Like you have, you have your voice. You shouldn't, you know, 
let people call you things and let that internalize and just because it's not true. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, if I can tell someone like these ladies here that they are strong and they're powerful and they're beautiful and they can do whatever the hell they want, like that, that's amazing, I think. And that's like the best thing to do and just to let each other know that, you know, we are in it together, mm -hmm. we can do it all. So. Do you think if someone had taught you how to be proud of being a virgin, as opposed to embarrassed, she would have she would have gotten these guys up there and you being able to say to the guys, oh, you just so wish, but you're not the lucky ones, you're not worthy, would have been so different than feeling like ashamed and embarrassed. And yeah. what would it have taken for someone to have taught you to to walk with that, like the, the proud virgin mm -hmm. you were and are? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. funny to say. We'd laugh at it. But. Yeah, I just think no one really in my family talked about sex. That was the main thing. Oh, oh my God. Is that, that's you know, I grew up Catholic too. Yeah. Really, ca really oh, Catholic. God. We just don't oh, talk about sex. <laughs> yeah, we, we just don't talk about sex in our household. So, at least not with my parents. Like, my mom is a, she's a physician, so she'll do the whole clinical thing. Like, this is, these are STDs you can get. This is like what it is. Oh, but, lovely. like, not, not like the, Emotional side, what is like what? what is no. yeah? She just you know she just thought that I was getting that through faith, through religion, you know oh, that geez. those teaching. Oh gosh. So mm. which is totally like not her fault, but but it didn't it didn't equip me with the you know because that's how she grew up, so that was how she taught us. Um, but yeah, it didn't equip me with the ability to be like that when the situation happens to me. Like I'm not naturally confrontational. And I, it was, I was still sort of in shock when it was happening to me, so I, I didn't know how to respond. Like later on in my head, I'd be like, "This would have been like the best response. This would have been like the right thing to say mm -hmm. to tell them off." Everything that I mm -hmm. was like, going through my head, like that's how I should have said it, you mm -hmm. know. After the fact, um, but at least you moment, did no. rehearse those lines, yeah, so that you were trying to build up your own language around empowering yourself. And I think that sometimes we do have those thoughts over, I wish I'd done this, I wish, if we could say, oh, look, I'm taking myself into a classroom and teaching myself, as opposed to feeling like, oh, I feel so bad that I didn't, as opposed to, oh, look, there I am, I'm teaching myself, mm -hmm. would be really helpful. I think that the Catholic Church is a whole nother thing. And I actually, <laughs> and I actually yes, have a is. segment on this that's all about, um, you know, it's one of the most troubled, sexual, predatory, uh, organizations on the planet. It's not alone. It's really interesting to see that this is also tr part of the Southern Baptist movement we just recently saw impacted. We saw that it was also part of the Muslim move, move where oh, we, that's a whole other thing. I mean, I'm not picking on the Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church is incredibly troubled with its priests and its molestations and its denial. And when recently Pope Francis say, I apologize. I allowed this to go unpunished when he was referring to, to a priest in the South American area. I found myself going, oh, wow, finally, that's so great. And then I paused and went, are you kidding, Carol? This is so overdue. He should be in shame. The whole priesthood should be in shame of what they've damaged and, and what they've allowed. Um, and I wanted to say, very straightforwardly, there actually is a whole subculture of priests in their, their, their schools, their teaching facilities, 
teaching individuals how to con their their takes, con their marks. Um, and then the, the priest gets molested and then they get blackmailed and then they get looped into it and then they do it. And it's a very insidious, complex uh, situation. I have friends of mine that are the most wonderful Catholic priests around. So this isn't about the person, but it is about something very insidious that people can't be naive around. And um, how does that feel that I take this evil, this darkness, and say, there it is, guys, let's not be naive about it? I think um, I'm just so big on communication and discussion. And I think that religion sometimes just, like, does not do that. It just doesn't, like, um, sex is more of a shame than a, than a natural happening. And, you know, I went to Catholic school and we watched, like, like guys watched a separate video, girls watched a separate video, and it was about puberty, and that's all the sexual education I got. I was never taught how I should be treated, how I should be respected. You know, they talked about love for God and faith and believing in this mythical thing, but they never talked about, like, love for myself and how people treated me. And it was, you know, such, like, a blip. Like, I... I didn't understand sex, and I didn't understand love for that matter. And I think that really the only place you're going to be able to have this this common platform to reach people and to get people to understand how they should be treated is through the school system. And you know what's like one of the few things that everybody has to do is is, is attend school for a certain amount of time. Whether it's homeschool, I think it should be in the curriculum so that way you know discussion is kind of forced to be facilitated because you know people can have all types of sexual preferences but going I just went into sex so blind honestly I thought you know and that's like you said it's so impressionable for young people if they don't know what they want or what they're getting into then whatever happens first is what they think is supposed to is like the standard the norm yeah. yes and it's i think it's the same for any form of abuse if you grow up as a child in an abusive household you think that that's normal and you adapt to that and it's it's not and i think that there needs to be more discussion that all of this needs to be addressed on on a larger platform that reaches more people well folks that's what this is supposed to be a very large platform you have participated in i want to thank each and every one of you nameless people <laughs> to have shared so vulnerably with everybody with the encouragement of the communication and the dialogue. Well, 30-second exit, what would you like to say? I would just like to say to anybody out there struggling and feeling alone, you're not alone, but there's so many different resources out there. This is one great one. Um, but just know that you're loved people out there that can help you and will help you and that there's a future out there for you. I guess I would just like to say that um, even if you find yourself in a bad relationship that um, maybe you might feel like you're stuck in that relationship and there is no way out and that is the best option for you at the time and it possibly might be but there is a way out and there are resources to help you and you aren't alone. And you will look back 
at it and it will just be a memory and it'll be something you will be able to get through. Um, I should say that, um, that yeah, you're not alone and that it's important to have a great support system, to have people in your life who are encouraging you to do better, to be better, and who love you and are there to support you and not bring you down. And I think that's like the most important thing that you can start to build on and just build a great foundation. I think that as much as you're not alone, you need to be okay with yourself when you are. I think that you need to be sure to, you know, when going through all of these experiences or these traumas, don't let it define you, but take definition from it. So overcome it and adapt it into your own person and make yourself stronger through that. Um, something my dad would always say to me growing up is, you're dealt the cards you're dealt but it's how you play them that matters. So I think that's that's something that I always go back to. And it's like, okay, well, how am I going to change this? Or what do I want from this? And take what you have and make it fulfilling for yourself. Folks, I'm all about you being as powerful as you can be, being the most powerful influence out there. And if I had my druthers, we'd all roar at you. And you'd roar back right at us so we could enjoy our power. So are you game? Game. Sure. Three, two, one. Roar! I wasn't prepared to roar. Well, you know what? Women are not prepared to roar. Oh, <laughs> Shall we do it again, just yeah. so that you're there? Yeah. <laughs> Three, two, oh, oh, one. Oh, oh, wait, who? I think Bethany should do it, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bethany. Yeah, Bethany. Yes. Because you're not behind the camera, just thinking you're exempt. Did we ruin the sound quality? <laughs> <laughs> She's editing us. I don't believe it. Okay. okay. Three, two, one. Roar! <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> I, still, I still feel uncomfortable like, like sounding off. But I'm just like, ah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. I said that was the strangest ending to any video I've ever done. <laughs> I'm so glad that you made this to the end of this audio. This is absolutely a most amazing, powerful interview with four very open, vulnerable, yet strong, amazing, gorgeous, spirited women. And yet they had experience being vulnerable and abused, traumatized at the hands of other individuals, and are in the path of their own recovery. So I hope that you roared with us, laughed with us, and also cried with us. We are reaching out to everybody that has experienced abuse and trauma at the hands of other individuals that were careless or did not care or that were evil, unkind, whatever the case was, it's up to you to recover. It's up to you to be in your power. It's up to you to roar when you need to find your own way to keep yourself safe. As Dr. Carol Francis Again, thanks for joining us all the way to the end here. But it is not the end of our connection with you. 
as we continue to supply you with lots of ways to recover from abuse and trauma. Cheers. <laughs>